Hey team, it's Matt Rinkine here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast today. I'm your host, Matt Drinkon, and thank you, friends, for joining us today. All I can say is, wow, I, I come into these conversations sometimes and I'm not certain exactly what we're going to get. I know the person and I'm not sure how the conversation is going to play out. This conversation went a number of different directions that absolutely amazed me. You're in for a treat today to hear the challenges and the lows of someone who is ultimately incredibly successful in multiple professions in their life and was having an impact on the entire world right now. Dr. Mike Horwitz. When we talk to Mike today, here are some things to listen for. First of all, you know, Mike is someone that you know, he's been successful in a number of different industries in real estate in academia. He's also someone that's had a number of unimaginable challenges. You know, he suffered in the very beginning, you know, from alcohol and cocaine addiction. So part of his success story is being in recovery and having overcome that and being someone that we can look up to in that regard today. He's got a great story of recovery on a number of different occasions. So we're going to share that today. Also, he's had opportunities and relationships. He chronicles a story that after being divorced, he and his ex-wife maintained a great relationship in parenting their grown children. So that's an amazing story he shares and goes deeper into. He shares a story of his amazing recovery from physical complications and challenges, including cancer, bouts with that, bouts with unimaginable excruciating pain in his back and the surgeries that followed, where he was literally cut in half and the only thing holding him together was his spine. This man has been through a lot. He knows a lot of things, a lot of wisdom in the world, and Mike shares much of that today. We start with a fun story, talking about the amazing sailfish on the wall behind him, which anyone who knows Mike knows uh, he has got an amazing Zoom background for his calls. Dr. Mike Horowitz, an amazing man, an amazing story who is impacting the world, will wrap up today's call with a discussion around his research that is impacting the world of leadership around us as we speak. One of the largest known of its, of its kind ever in the history of the world. He's doing research right now and it's going to be produced soon. So now, Dr. Mike Horowitz. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. Mike, welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, brother. How are you today? I am doing great, Matt. Thanks for uh, having me. 
It is an absolute pleasure, and I think our, our listeners are in for a real treat today. I want to first color the conversation with how we met. I remember very clearly the first time that we did connect. Uh, it was in the exchange community in uh, March, about a year ago, yeah, a year and two months ago, when we went to the OXE, uh, which I think stands for Online Exchange Experience Training to be great facilitators and, and connect with people. So that was the first time we met. And I remember the very first time that I ever heard you speak in front of everyone, I was captivated by the giant fish in your background. So I'd love to start, for those of us who are watching this on YouTube or seeing it, can you give us a little color? What is that, the story behind that giant fish in the background there? So that is a sailfish. I caught this fish back in 1977. I was uh, down in Key Largo, and we—I uh, was with my uh, my now former wife's family, her parents and her brother—and we uh, we chartered a boat. The captain said, "What would you like to do today?" And I said, "Well, you know, if I've got a choice, I'd like to go catch a sailfish." And he said, "Okay." Sailfish aren't like just any, any easy fish to catch. Like they're big ones. Well, you got to, yeah, there's a system to it. The way you do this is they put kites out to hold the bait up on top of the water. So the bait dances, which excites the fish. And then they kind of know with the depth, these guys, you know, they're experts at it. So we had all these lines up on top of the water and there were two kites out and two other lines off the, the, the back of the boat, the stern. And uh, we were going for a long time and people are getting bored and think, nah, maybe we should go catch a grouper or something. So at least we're going to have dinner out of this. Because when you charter a boat like that, you know, that grouper winds up costing like a thousand dollars an ounce, uh, you know, if you don't catch up because it's, it's a big trip. So we're out there and people are getting bored. And all of a sudden I heard snap, 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 snap. And all four lines went at the same time. And we had four sailfish on simultaneously. Holy, whoa. Four at a time. Wow. Four at the same time. Now you got to imagine the fish behind me is um, 110 inches long and weighed almost 100 pounds. So we had four of those dancing on the water with their fins up and the, the spectacular, the colors and the, and the energy <laughs> that you see. What did you, what did you do? Well, so what we did was we went to work to land all the fish. And uh, there were there was one mate on the boat and the captain. So the captain's job is to make sure the lines don't get tangled, keep the line out from behind the engine, keep the fish behind the boat so that you can reel them in. So the mate's reeling a fish in and hands it to my brother-in-law, reels another one in and hands it to my then, you know, my father-in-law and uh, reels it in and hands one, I think, that I want to say to, I'm not sure, somebody else, I'm still holding my fish and I'm working this fish and I'm working this fish. He says, don't lose it. Keep the, and he's yelling at me and, and the, you know, so then in order to keep the fish from breaking the line, captain starts to back up the boats and I got the water coming over the back of the boat and I'm sitting in the fighting chair. Like these things really, I mean, that really happens. So, you know, I'm getting sprayed with water. I can't see they're pouring water. And I'm like, I'm getting this fish and the fish keeps breaking the water. And we got all the other three in the boat. Like how long you've been battling this fish for? So yeah, so I landed mine after about two and a half hours. Two and a half hours? Whoa. Two and a half hours. Whew. This fish has moved with me everywhere since 1977. 
Holy crap, that fish is older than me. I, I'm 45, and that fish was caught the same year I was born. So that's uh, that's that's amazing. That fish has seen a lot. I bet you that fish uh, on your wall that I was introduced to last year, that that stuff has seen so much in the world. And that's, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because your story is so amazing to me. And it's amazing that I met you a year ago, and I had no idea of everything that you've been through. I made a couple notes here. Uh, I mean, you're, you're so accomplished in business and real estate, and then as a coach and academics as well. And you, you even have a doctorate in front of your name, which is something that uh, in itself uh, took some uh, took some real perseverance. So your story is um, so amazing. And it's not exactly a straight line, like easy to get there. And I'd love to explore with you uh, kind of the, some of the challenges in, in your story. And also kind of on the, on the other end of that is just the unprecedented research that you are engaged in now. So there's really, you know, this place you're in now where, where you're, you're doing some some great stuff for the world. And then there's the, the dark, challenging stuff you had to go through to get to here where you are right now. So I'd love to just, you know, pick it apart and hear, hear the story, Mike, uh, wherever you want to start. I'm going to start with the story being of uh, being an alcoholic and an, and an addict. So, you know, as um, that, you know, that for many, it starts early in life and you don't even realize it. And for me, I think it really started when I was about 15 because alcohol kind of became my social lubricant and, uh, you know, go to parties and hang out and do what people do. But for me, it was a little bit different. So, you know, my younger years, people would have marked chalked that up to, yeah, he was just a partier. But I did really well in school. I mean, I'm a former practicing CPA and, uh, you know, did, uh, did, did very well. And I, I got through all of that. What was the alcohol of choice back in the day, like when you were that age? At uh, 27, I met my, uh, my the, the mother of my kids, and uh, we got married. I was using cocaine, and I, I used a lot of cocaine prior to meeting her. We married. She got pregnant and um, a woman, seven months, seven months pregnant, 19 years old, watched her husband go into a 30 day or a, a residential rehab program. And we didn't know whether I would actually get out in time to be there for the birth of our child. And it was a real devastating moment, heartbreaking for her. And for me, I think I was kind of like a little oblivious to, you know, the, the impact. Did 30 days uh, or so. I came out. I participated in, in the, the Lamaze classes and I was there for the birth of my child. And witnessing that birth changed my life. Wrote him a letter. And that was the day I stopped using cocaine and it changed everything for me. Years passed by. So, uh, you know, I built a, an organization of, of owning and operating hotels, built a significant net worth. Desert storm hit. The savings and loan crisis hit. We lost everything. And I was trying to decide, do I buy food or pay the electric bill? So we dug deep. I fought multiple lawsuits. I actually beat the government in an appeal, but it didn't matter because the law that created the Resolution Trust Corporation protected them from having to pay anything. So it was a vacant victory, uh, but I had to keep going. Together, she and I built a real estate brokerage company to a very successful four-office firm. We did very well. We rebuilt our lives. We built the big house. We raised our kids. You know, we still had some ups and downs, but alcohol was still my challenge. And I drank when things were, when I, a big, big successes, and I drank, but things weren't going so well. well Mike, if I could interrupt, is, is the drinking something that's happening? Is this daily or is this like a weekend? Yeah, I, I was a daily drinker and it, and it got in the way. 
It got in the way of my family. I mean, it got in the way of my relationship uh, with my wife. Probably affected our business, even though I didn't realize it. I've been a national speaker. I've, been, I've spoken to conferences with 5,000 people, and you know, I show up, and I was functional for the most part. So nobody outside of my immediate sphere really, really grasped it. I finally, and I had strung together times of sobriety. In moments of challenges, that was my go-to. I finally got, the, got things together. And uh, I went back to school at 50 years old and I got a master's degree, got a master's in leadership because I decided I'm going to go teach. Well, Mike, Mike, when you say that you finally got things together, does that mean that did you just get a hold of the drinking or stop drinking or what do you, what do you mean by that? So I stopped drinking. I had uh, about um, four or five years together, all you know, and I felt like I was in pretty good shape because we had been struggling. You know, I said, all right, I'm going to do something different. We're going to change our lives. And I said to her, you can keep doing real estate. I'm going to go get a degree. I'm going to teach. So I went back to get a master's degree and I got a master's degree in a little, little under a year and a half. I got certified in situational leadership, got the great opportunity to be an adjunct professor. So I taught two, three courses a semester, especially in leadership. Things were good. Well, Mike, why, uh, why this? Why a master's degree in situational leadership and why the professorship? Why go away from the you know, successful real estate to go into new new career? So, you know, sometimes you got to do what you love. And I didn't love the successful career. And, you know, when you're really good at something and the world pays you for it, it's a job. It's not a passion. If you do what you love that the world will pay you for and you're really good at it, that's the nexus of what's passionate. That's your purpose. So for me, teaching is my purpose. It's what I love to do. Amazing. You figured this out at 50 and you did it and awesome. And unfortunately, I think at the time my wife was, didn't necessarily believe that this was going to be a long-term thing. So uh, we wound up getting separated. I started drinking again. Very short period of time, but I drank just enough to realize, all right, Mike, you got to get it together. A year later, so I quit drinking again. This time I decided I was going to get into a program. I, I got into a 12-step program, started doing all the stuff that, you know, you're supposed to do. At the same time, I went back to school to get a doctorate. I said, well, you know, I'm teaching with a master's, but if I really want to teach, I need a doctorate. So I entered a doctoral program, a doctor of education uh, with a major in organizational leadership and a minor in neuroscience, the neuroscience of leadership. And I started that. And um, then my uh, my then wife, she decided we were getting divorced. That um, that really got in my way and really got in my head. And I was moving along to be done in about three years, three and a half years. So at the two year mark, that kind of got in my way and I was not doing quite as well. I had to, to sort through a lot of stuff, but I also had to stay in school. So I, instead of doing moving along at a pretty good pace, I was kind of dragging. And um, then I was very, very, very fortunate to uh, meet my current wife. So, yeah, I've had three. This is my third. Uh, and I hope third time is really a charm. You know, and I will tell you, I'm blessed. I'm married to an amazing lady. Why yeah, is she so amazing? Get... What is it about your current wife that's just so amazing to you? She supports me in everything that I do. She is there for me. And she says to me, I believe in you. And we need that, you know, and uh, and she does. And I believe in her, too. I support her and we have a great relationship. And the good news is I'm still friends with my former wife. We have kid, grandkids together. We have our, certainly our children. And I decided I was not going to be that guy, the people that just didn't, you know, that we were not going to have that. So we all get along fine. At one of our kids' weddings, we all sat. I sat at the table with her and her, her now husband, and my wife. We all sat together at a table. 
How hard was it to make that decision to stay friends, to, to engage in that relationship when you, you hear stories where parents battle once they get divorced over kids and they're, they're spiteful and mean and you uh, have intentionally chosen to do that? How hard was that? You know, I'm from a family of people who didn't get divorced. My parents, we're getting ready to celebrate my parents' 70th wedding anniversary, my mom's 90th birthday and my dad's 93rd birthday. We'll be celebrating that in July. Wow. Congrats. So, wow. you know, my family just doesn't get divorced. We don't do that. So for me to do this was really uh, just unusual. But I decided that I was not going because my kids had friends whose families, you know, this Thanksgiving, that Thanksgiving. And, and I said, you know, we're just not going to do that. We're not going to split the kids and the family and the grandkids. Just not right. We're going to figure out. And I and I and I when I married her, I married my best friend. I loved her then. And I still she has a place in my heart. She always will. And uh, I think that's true for her. And, you know, what happened, happened. And we had to accept that what happened, happened. And we just have to make that part of our history. You know, you said life is on a straight line. No, it's more like a heartbeat, because if it's a straight line, you're dead. There's never a path. You know, it's a journey. It's a, my, you know, my mother called what I have not a journey. It's more of an odyssey. You know, in 2013, I met my, my current wife and I started getting a little bit more focused. We got married. 2015, we had an amazing first year. We went to Israel for our honeymoon. We had a great time. We came back and the two of us were like, you know, life doesn't get any better than this. On um, April 5th of 2016, I was it was eight o'clock in the morning. I was brushing my teeth, getting ready to head out to go to work. I had this searing pain in my back, shoot down my leg, and I collapsed to the floor. And I had to crawl across the floor on my elbows to get to my phone. And I called a friend of mine who was a chiropractor. And I said, listen, I, something's going on. And uh, he said, come in immediately. I'll meet you at the office. I dragged myself to the car. Tears were streaming down my face. I've never felt this kind of pain. And I've had appendicitis. And I know what pain is. Never did I feel this kind of pain. I dragged myself to the office. They did an x-ray. He says, you need something more than this. He said, you need to see a specialist. You need to go see a neurosurgeon. I went to the emergency room to at least get a shot for the pain to do something because nothing was working. And I helped a little bit, saw a neurosurgeon immediately. He says, you need surgery. Got it. He said, you got something impinging the nerve. We got to take care of that. So he performed surgery. Uh, immediately, and right then and there. Well, within, within, within three days. Within three days, they, they operated, and it was a minor, it was actually an outpatient, pretty, he called it a minor surgery. Now, the pain I was in, there was nothing minor about that. That was like, yeah, no. <laughs> scale of one through 10, you're at a 12, that's not minor. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I mean, it was like, I, I was frozen, I couldn't move. I'd, I'd move, and it would feel the pain, and I would just like, just could not move. I couldn't breathe. Yeah, how do you function when the pain is so excruciating that you cannot move and everything is just all around the pain? How did you, I mean, even for just three days, much less longer than that, how did you function for those three days? You don't, you just don't. My wife brought me food. I sat on the couch. I did it. I found the most comfortable position. I just didn't move. So they did the surgery and I felt amazing. So I'm a warrior. He says, wait two weeks. I waited a week. I went back to work because the, the person who I worked with was going to have neck surgery. So I'm thinking, this is not good. Maybe we both need new jobs because if we need this kind of work, there's something else going on. She went off and I stayed in the office and I was handling things and she was out for three months. So I was running the office. The surgery wasn't quite right. I kept, there was something not right about it. I kept getting pain that I should not have been getting. 
she came back to the office and I immediately went back out. They did another surgery to revise the first one because what they found was scar tissue had grown on the nerve root. And that's why I was feeling the pain. What was the surgery called? What was the exact? Uh, well, that was a, uh, so they did a, uh, a laminectomy at my L5 S1. They removed the part of that disc to, they, they did a micro discectomy was what that was called. So I wound up with the scar tissue. So in November, they did that procedure to remove that. And again, I felt great almost immediately, but something wasn't healing right. So I went back to the doc. I said, doc's not right. He said, no, it's okay. It'll be better. I said, no, it's not right. I know my body. He said, no, it's okay. And we went around and around. So they put me on antibiotics. And what they finally found out was that I had an infection. They didn't know where, but they knew it was an infection, probably in the surgical surgery site somewhere. Went on IV antibiotics and became best friends with an infectious disease doc. I saw her every day. But then I was doing infusion, IV infusion at home three times a day. What is that? Uh, that's You have to stick a needle in yourself, an IV in yourself? Well, no, the needle was there. They left the line in and I just had to figure, I had to connect it all up and do the stuff. So that was three times a day. And I did that for uh, about four or five months. So I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything. The pain was unbearable. You know, I was taking pain meds and being very careful because I knew my history. So I had to minimize that because I was concerned that, you know, this could go bad. You know, people are, you know, we hear all about opioids and I've said, I'm not going to be that fatality. So I had to manage that process, tried to do what I could from home. And, you know, I'm on the, I'm, I'm trying to teach and I've got this IV line and people I'm trying to hide it, and, you know, but uh, so it was brutal. And I wound up, uh, I, I, I uh, tracked down a, a neurosurgeon at the University of Miami whose specialty is fixing stuff other surgeons did. And, and that's, I mean, not, not that, no, his specialty is neurosurgery. You know, he does neck, brain, you know, stuff like that, spinal cord. I saw him and he said, okay, so we're going to operate and here's what I'm going to do. They, uh, they call it a, um, it's an ALIF, an anterior lateral something fusion. So what they do is they go in through the front. So there's three surgeons involved. There's a thoracic surgeon who go, opens you up and they move all the organs out of the way. Then the neurosurgeon goes in and does his part. They had to debride everything. They took out the bad parts and then started putting in a metal cage and a, and a cadaver disc and they put me back together again. So at one point I'm literally cut in half. Right. There's nothing holding me together but my spinal cord. I oh mean, the bones goodness. are, the spine is not connected. So they do all that. Then the surgeon comes back in. He puts all the organs back where they belong. They close you up. Then they flip you over Goodness. and they go in through the back and they tighten all the screws. Goodness. So, yeah, major wow. surgery. I've never felt pain like that in my entire life. When I woke up, I was like, you got to be kidding me. This is, I thought the pain was bad before. Well, if I could just interrupt for one moment, this is this for those who are listening who have never experienced like uh, an excruciating pain uh, like what you're describing. I can attest because I had a similar spinal surgery. It is all you can think about. It's all encompassing. Uh, and when you say it was brutal, uh, I'm really empathizing with you because this sounds like, wow, just like a lot of recovery, a lot of laying around, a lot of kind of being in your own head and and this is kind of when we talk about overcoming challenge, this is a physical challenge. This isn't just a head game. Uh, and that's a big part of it. This is a, a physical pain unlike any other and just excruciating. So thank you for, for sharing this. And this is uh, probably even tough to relive that. So three months go by. 
four months. I finally, now I'm back up, I'm doing stuff. I get back in the room and I'm actually, I actually got a chance to teach again. I was just teaching online, you know, so I was able to connect with students. I was teaching at the university. I started teaching other courses that I had done online and uh, got back into working on finishing my dissertation. And along the way in my dissertation, I had to change my study site three different times because of changes in leadership or or other complications. Now, is this up to 2017, 18? Where are we in the timeline here? So we're now at 2018, more or less, that I'm, I'm in this place and I'm starting now. I'm up and I'm around, I'm doing things and I'm out in the world. And uh, I was scheduled to fly to uh, Georgia in March of 2019. And we know what happened then, right? We know what happened. So I canceled those that two weeks of on the road training and uh, we tried to pivot, get some things done. A lot of stuff shifted. So I was working on the dissertation, making some progress. Finally, still had trouble getting through some of the study sites, but I finally started moving that forward. And I'm coming screeching down to the deadline because you only have 10 years to finish the doctoral program. No, only 10. I mean, it should have been done. I think three years, four years. Here I am like eight years, nine years into it. The end of 2019 now, right? So this happens in March. The end of 19, I'm seeing my, my, my ENT and I'm complaining about a pain in the back of my throat. And I said, you know, I've had this for a really long time. So they did a PET scan and he says, you know, you got a spot. I'm going to send you to a specialist. So I go see this specialist, December of 2019. They do a biopsy at the end of the year and uh, comes back with what they call high grade dysplasia. So dysplasia or abnormal cells, precursor to cancer. Man, the hits keep coming. Yeah. So that, so now they've done a biopsy on my tongue, the back of my throat. The pain is, again, beyond anything you can imagine. So I'm now shut down. So from December to March, I'm in this space of, okay, we got to figure out what's going on. So they decide, okay, we have to operate. We don't know how extensive it's going to be. So I find the ENT oncology surgeon who's a specialist at robotic surgery for this procedure. And she also happens to be at the University of Miami. March of 2020, they operate on the base of my tongue and they have two other surgeons standing by because this, if, depending on what they find, they could wind up going in and doing, doing lymph nodes. They could do other stuff. We don't even know if I'm going to be able to talk after the surgery. I have teed up my, I have teed up my training team to take the material that I've written and I've written a number of leadership courses that I'm working on rolling out now. I said, look, let's record some stuff. You got my material. Let's create some avatars of me. And then you guys will do the voiceovers if all else fails. And I'll just type out stuff. Mike, how did you come to terms before the surgery with that idea that you may come out of this not able to speak? Yeah, so my faith has become pretty strong, and I had to stay in absolute trust. Not just, you know, the difference between faith and trust is, right, is that faith, you believe, in the end, it'll all be good. Trust is, you got to believe it's good right now. And I had to have absolute trust that it's good now, that whatever it is, I got to deal with it, that I cannot let it take me out. I've had enough things come at me. I've withstood every challenge I've ever faced. I'm going to withstand this one. When I told my kids, they all cried because nobody knew what was going to happen. I have the surgery. Two days in the hospital, like I asked, I'm not supposed to have anything in my mouth. And I finally convinced the nurse, wrote her a note, and I begged her, I need ice. I, can't, I need something. So they gave me a little bit of ice. And uh, I started talking. 
little gravelly, little gravelly, but I started talking. The, the speech pathologist came in. We were talking. She said, all right, swallow this. So I swallowed a little jello. I swallowed a little water. I swallowed a little pudding. And she said, I'm going to sign off. You're going home. The doc came in and she walked in. I stood up. I said, hey, doc, thanks so much. She cried too. Wow. And your voice sounded like it sounds right now, like back to what we might call normal. Mostly it took, it took about a month for everything to, to heal, but here I am. A month later, I was, uh, you know, it was right about the time of Passover. So Passover, eat matzah, right? Well, matzah is not one of those. You know, it's like, so I said, all right, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But I managed to eat just enough. I managed to have a little bit of soup. I managed to do the other stuff and the progressed and healed slowly. I drank from a blender and a juicer for about four or five months for most of my meals. But I managed to get a little bit and a little bit more in. And um, so I'm just literally past one year since the surgery. I'm up and speaking. I'm teaching. I'm training. I was in person this past semester at the university. I had 75 students in leadership and creativity. I'm teaching around the country. And here I am with you. You know, it's a it's a story of overcoming every challenge through grit, perseverance and persistence. Now, while I was recovering from the surgery, knowing that I was coming down to this deadline, right, August of 2021, which was my deadline, actually May. So my surgery was in March. Between March and May, I finished my dissertation, got everything done submitted for approval. And on August 31st, my degree was conferred. So I became Dr. Horowitz within the timeline. And I am now conducting the largest study of its kind with independent contractors in the leadership space, looking at the effect of authentic leadership on organizational outcomes on this one in particular of growth, retention, productivity, and profitability. And uh, we're also studying what's called boundaryless and protein, which is another model model for the gig economy. So I'm studying the effect of leadership in the gig economy. And it's the largest study. I have 170,000 more or less uh, participants in the study, or at least who have been invited in. Um, as of this morning, about 10,000 responses within a four or five days to go. And uh, we, I'm working with an amazing leadership team, a research team, a department chair from my university at Nova Southeastern, uh, one of the program managers and another professor from the University of Miami. Just happened, coincidence, right? And uh, we're going to do a game-changing study. There's a lot that we're collecting on this, and we're really going to be teasing out a lot of things. What's the effect of leadership? Yeah, it's a long journey. I mean, I'm, and I'll tell you, I'm 67 years old, and I'm starting a complete new career. Everything is new about what I'm doing, and I just look forward to an amazing future that uh, you know my wife and I are. And we're and and we're get we're uh, we're working with a group to to start building uh, some single. You know, there's a real problem with housing in today's market. So, using my real estate background and my developer background, we're going to start uh, and my organizational skills. We're going to start building some houses uh, in the Florida market to to help answer maybe some of the affordability challenges. This has been an absolutely amazing roller coaster of, of emotions, uh, of just listening to your life story, Mike, and hearing uh, about the battle with uh, first back in the day with, with drinking at a young age and then cocaine, addiction, uh, a couple of marriages, challenges, success in business, uh, health challenges, excruciating pain. I mean, you've hit the gamut on every possible reason that you could have just given up. 
and every reason that you could have stopped, you could have said, you know, I've had enough. I'm not going to push forward. I'm not going to grow a business. I'm not going to go into the research. And that's really what we want to tease out on the podcast is hope is the message that you can overcome and you can do it too. And your story is so inspirational for all of us to hear. At the age of 67, you are embarking upon this great new research to impact the world. So my hat's off to you, brother. Just hearing the story, it's it's amazing to hear. And I, I would love to maybe get you back on for a part two whenever some of the research results are, are ready. When when might we expect to hear something? I would love that. I would love that. And you know, I want to I want to roll back to something you just said, right? So it's a story of hope. One of my professors uh, was uh, an advisor to Nelson Mandela. He shared with me, you know, the essence of hope is the possibility of change because hope is that change will happen, that it will not be the same. That's powerful. So I have another acronym for hope, and that is hold on possibilities exist, that everything is possible. You just have to be willing to take the action to do what it takes. Well, if there were someone out there who were listening to the story and heard your amazing recovery, uh, I've heard your amazing resilience and grit, and you wanted to share a message, whether it's advice or encouragement or something with someone who is undergoing any or all of some of the challenges you shared, what would your advice be uh, to anyone around Hope? If you could share with us, please. You know, I, what, what I would say is that you have to look, you have to stop and unpack your dreams what it, and really understand that wherever you are, you're not a tree. You're not fixed. You can move. You have to take one step. It's one action. And when you accomplish one action, you can accomplish a second action. And a series of actions is like a halo effect. And it creates, it's easier to do the next thing. And one small move in the right direction changes your mindset. And it really is all about mindset. It's all about how you look at the world. It's about changing your glasses, right? It's about picking up my glasses and putting them on and saying, okay, now I see it differently. And if you change your paradigm, you know, as Stephen Covey always shared, right? It's our paradigms. It's the way we see the world. What You got to go take some glass cleaner and you got to go over to the window and you got to clean the glass, right? So that you can see differently. And when you can see more clearly, and one thing I will tell you, we do not know the answers. We do not know what the outcome will be. We can't predict the future. All we have to do is take the right step, take the right action, and we'll get what we get. I love, uh, I love everything you've shared today. Uh, Dr. Mike Horowitz. Uh, Mike, if someone wants to uh, connect with you or hear more about what you're doing, what might be a, a way that they can find out more about you and uh, see you on social media or website or something like that? Well, they, you know, if they want to connect directly, I'll give you my email. It's Mike at M. H-O-R-W-I-T-Z dot com, my first initial and my last name. I am on Facebook, although I think I'm close to 5,000 friends at this point. So I think it, on Facebook, I think I'm M. Horowitz 1. On LinkedIn, I'm M. B. Horowitz. Great. Uh, you know, thank you, Mike. Appreciate you coming on. Um, we'll stay in touch and uh, look forward to having you on to hear more about this research and the impact in the world. And uh, thanks, brother. Appreciate you today. Hey, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it today. Yes, sir. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon, 